So, any philosophers? Any philosophers, no philosophers? That's a good thing. <laughs> Philosophy is very interesting, but it doesn't pay very well. <laughs> you know, unless you're like one of the upper echelon guys. Um, anybody ever heard? We talked about it Wednesday night in young adult Bible study. Something that I have and you have and all 7.4 billion people on the planet have. Uh, it's why I'm standing in front of you preaching the gospel tonight because I have one. I, I guess it's why you're sitting out there listening to me preach the gospel tonight because you have one. Um, it's called a noetic structure. Anybody know what this term means? Pardon me? What? Noetic structure. It's what philosophers call a noetic structure. Pardon me? A thinking mind. No. Not a bad guess, though. It's a good guess. A worldview. A worldview. Right. Eduardo, you were there Wednesday night. All right. Um, hey, welcome back from Israel, by the way. Um, it's a worldview. So, everybody has a worldview. It's why I preach the gospel. I have a worldview. It's why I trust that most of you, if not all of you in here, uh, know Jesus Christ and trust Jesus Christ. You have a worldview. You believe what He says. Right? Contrary to much of what the rest of the world believes. I, you know, just my noetic structure, my worldview. Two plus two is four. Right? So, I can go from there and, and I can make an endless list of all the things that I believe to be true. Down to and including Jesus Christ is God. He's my Redeemer and He's coming back for me, and I will live forever with Him, right? So that's my noetic structure. And philosophers talk about, they use a, an analogy of a house, right? When they talk about noetic structures. Um, like the color of the kitchen. Now, that's not a really big deal, is it? Now, maybe to some, I don't know, maybe some interior decorator, it might be a big deal. But when you're building a house, the, the kind of carpet you're going to put into the living room or the kind of tile you're going to put into the bathroom, is this a big deal? Is it, is it a really big deal? Are you going to spend all your time on that? Or if you're building the house, what will you spend your time on? If you're building a house, what will you spend your time on? Pardon me? The foundation, right? The most important thing is the foundation. And philosophers talk about this, that... Many people spend their whole life worrying about what color the kitchen is going to be. You understand the analogy? And they never give any consequential time to think about how they're building their life, what the foundation of their life is. I just think that's a beautiful uh, analogy. You know, I think profiteroles and tiramisu are the best thing that mankind has ever come up with, particularly if Electra is making them. <laughs> but if I'm wrong about profiteroles, it's not a huge deal, right? If I'm wrong about Jesus Christ, it's a big deal forever, right? That's the point I'm trying to make. And you heard me say earlier that I'm going to preach on heaven, and I, I, I'm going to challenge you tonight. Where, you know, I challenge the young adults Wednesday night. When was the last time you thought about heaven? When was the last time you thought deeply about it? The Bible talks a lot about heaven, 
Because the Bible expects us to be pointing at it. The Bible expects it, the fact that God is in heaven and God is waiting on us. God is bringing us to Himself and we will live forever with Him. God expects that to change every single day of our life. It should impact every important decision you ever make. God is there. His name is Jesus. He's reigning in heaven and I'm on my way to Him. That should be like, bam! The first thing in your noetic structure. The most important thing about building a life is knowing that and then allowing that to inform how you live, right? So, I want to talk a little bit about heaven and how it should impact. And you know, here's the thing. I know it's easy, and I, I, I confess, I, I was tell, sharing with Karen, we walking the other day, I, I should preach on this once a year. I looked at my notes, and if my records are correct, it's been two and a half years. I almost should preach on this every quarter, because you need to always be looking at it. You need to realize that you are transitory, you will die, as George Bernard Shaw said, one out of one dies. You will die. You will stand before Jesus Christ. You will look into His eyes. And as Paul reminds us and the Apostle James reminds us, it won't be long. We are vapors upon the earth. We are vapors upon the earth. So death is coming for all of us. That should be, obviously that's in your noetic structure, right? Death is coming for all of us. Are you ready? Are you ready to meet your Maker? Are you ready? Are you looking forward to it? Don't you realize the best part of life is after you physically die? For the Christian, the best part of life is after you die. Now, I know the world tells us, you know, the best part of life is now and grab all you can grab. Even if it is against the Word of God, grab all you can grab. Have all the pleasure you can have. We talked about it last week. You know, for the unbeliever, life is really not much more than minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure, right? That's about what it comes down to. But for us, <laughs> we're looking at eternal pleasure. Amen? We've been talking about this a lot. God is our treasure. God is our pleasure. And although we reflect that poorly much of the time, even though we are His, we will reflect that perfectly in heaven. Do you have, listen, I was listening to a preacher this week. He said there should be just a little bit of an ache for it. I like that. A little bit of an ache for heaven. If you don't have a well-developed theology of heaven, I, I encourage you, I, well, let me just tell you, there's a, there's a great book written by an American author. He's a preacher. His name is Randy Alcorn. And the book's about like that, okay? So it's one of those books you can just read for a while and you can just be soaking in not only what the Bible says, but what Randy Alcorn in, you know, uh, extrapolates from the Scripture. Uh, he uses his sanctified imagination, as Francis Schaeffer says, to think deeply about heaven. I, I want to challenge you. you. You say, Jim, my Christianity seems a little lackluster than... I think one problem could be you're not thinking deeply not only about your God, 
and your Redeemer, but your home. This is not your home. You are the ultimate definition of an expat, right? <laughs> You're not here to stay. You are here to leave. Now, we've been talking a lot about it. What is our purpose while we're here? God has saved us, so why has He left us? Because it's very much better to, to, to go to heaven and be with, with, with God. It'd be very much better, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. So why has He left us here? Why? Because He wants you to make much of Him and bring many with you, right? That's why you're here. You're His witness. That's the only reason He leaves His people on the planet. So, yeah, the color of the kitchen, okay, I get it. You know, I get it. The kind of tile in the bathroom, I get it. We have to address it. But don't you ever let anything get in front of Jesus Christ. Don't you let anything get in front of who He is and where you're headed. Thinking deeply about heaven, it will change every single day for the rest of your life. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So, I'm going to challenge you tonight not to focus on the minutiae, but to focus on Jesus. This is our 12th message in the We Get To series. Just a brief, I, want, I just want to briefly review it. Why, Jim, do you keep reviewing these? Because a lot of you don't consider these privileges. Some of you, let me just put it this way, some of you may not consider it a privilege to, to have these, these uh, blessings that we have. What was the first one? We get to pray. We get to pray to the living God. Not empty prayers to a non-God as the rest of the world is engaged in. We get to pray to the living God. The God who hears, the God who answers. We get to pray to Him. What was the next one? We get to worship. You know, that, that compelling and deep place of the heart and soul and mind when we, we come into communion with, with Jesus Christ. We get to worship. No other people on the planet get to worship like we do. They're all worshiping false gods. We, we are intimately connected with the true God. So we get to worship. We get to obey Jesus Christ in radical, life-altering, eternity-impacting ways. We get to believe everything He ever said. Everything in the Bible is ours. Every promise belongs to us. We get to believe every beautiful promise for this life and for the next. We get to suffer for the name of Jesus. The Bible is very clear. If you're a Christian, you're going to suffer for the name of Jesus. Persecution will come. But we talked about the fact that we will overcome. We get to be holy. Holiness is not a drag. Holiness is walking with God. Holiness is, is intimacy with God. We get to give. We are open-handed and free-hearted. We get to give. We're bullish on the kingdom. We support the church and the works of God in the world. We get to love and serve the body of Christ. We don't just date the church. We commit to the church. We pour our lives into the church. We get the truth. We get all the truth. God has shared the truth with us in Scripture. We have the truth. The rest of the world is chasing lies. We have the truth. Truth is not relative. Truth is absolute. His name is Jesus. We got it. We have the truth. I know the rest of the world hates it when we talk like that. But it's just 
the reality. We get to be His witnesses. I've already talked about that. We get to be His witnesses in the world. It's why He left us here. We get to live. Last week we talked about the fact that we get to live abundantly now and eternity, and for an eternity then. We live abundantly now. Some of you may remember the emphasis we had last week. We get to live abundantly even in the valley. Even in the valley, our friends and family and colleagues can see that we are moored. Our foundation is Christ. Nothing can blow us over. doesn't mean we don't cry, but nothing can blow us over. God is our anchor, right? So we can live the abundant life in the valley. Obviously, it's easy to live it on the mountaintop. But we can live the abundant life in the valley. And so this week, again, a seamless extension of that truth we get to live forever beloved we are not earthbound we are heavenbound you know you listen to so much preaching on the internet all these uh, prosperity gospel guys why are they always preaching to me about health wealth and prosperity why are they always preaching to me about temporal health wealth and prosperity why are they always talking about that that's not what excites me as a born-again lover of Jesus what excites me is Christ and the promises of Christ for eternity. Why are they talking to me? You know, this is not the emphasis of the Bible. You listen to much preaching today and you, you, and you get the sense that, well, it's all about now. Wrong! It's all about then. It's all about then. And we're just witnesses and stewards in the meantime, right? <laughs> that's what we are. That's who we are. And that's what we are. Our worldview Somebody might can finish this. I used to say this a lot. Our worldview is dominated by what? Our heaven view. Our worldview is dominated by our heaven view. It's real. He's real. It's real. Every major decision I make, Karen and I are talking about the future, about money, about career, about where we'll live, about what you know, what kind of how it, it's all subject to the fact that we are pilgrims, we are expats, we are exiles. Of course, I'm not going to get all planted here. I'm not meant to stay here. I'm just going to ask you: Do you live like that? Do you live like that? Is that in your noetic structure? Is that in your worldview? <laughs> right? God and your eternal home, it's in every, every major calculus of your life. Every major calculus of your life. What is the parable of the menace? Luke 19. Anybody remember? I love There's a line in that parable. I love it. You know, the Lord gives His, his stewards uh, uh, so much money and they're supposed to... And I love what He says. He says, go do business. Don't you love it? He says, go do business with what I've given you. So I'm going to ask you, are you doing business? Because the Lord is coming back and there will be an accounting. Are you doing business with what the Lord has given you? Are you doing kingdom business? Are you doing spiritual business? Are you doing God's business? It's the only reason the Christian has been left on the planet, beloved. I, I, I tell you this and I challenge you on this because I want you to be... You know, we have a book in the bookshelf. Don't waste your life! Don't waste your life! It's too short! Falling in love with the world. It's passing away, beloved. It's passing away. This world is passing 
it is passing away. So, we are not consumed with the career and the family and the money and our health. Of course, these matters are important and we give them their proper attention, but our principal focus is how can I make much of Jesus in my life and in my career and in my marriage and at the university and in my major? How do I make much of Jesus? How do I glorify Christ? Because in the end, that's what matters. In the end, that's what matters. We are on our way to Him. You know, it's the Hebrews 11 thing. I know you get tired of me talking about Hebrews 11. But these guys, these men and women, they were what? They were pointing at heaven. They were looking at God. It's why they lived these extraordinary lives. They were looking at God. Their heaven view dominated their worldview. So I read, I read Psalm 16.11 for you. Uh, to me, this one verse is, comes as close as any of talking about the ultimate and deep and profound reality of heaven. Uh, Psalm 16.11 In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand there are pleasures forever. It is impossible for me to exaggerate the joys of heaven. On the one hand, I can't even begin to get close all that I do is pathetic compared to the reality of heaven. It'd be, it's like looking at a lit match as compared to a billion suns, right? That, all, I, I don't have the, nor does any man have the oratorial, oratorical skills to help you even begin to get a some small sense of what heaven will be like and the deep and profound joy that we will have there in God. In essence, David, David is saying in Psalm 16.11, God is perfect joy. God is everlasting, ever-expanding, incessant, exquisite, ravishing joy and pleasure. This is not just the reality of joy or the experience of joy. This is the eternal increase of joy. So, yeah, I can't get there. I can't touch it. But I want to make a few comments about, about heaven. I love Jonathan Edwards, 18th century American theologian. He says, every human faculty will be an inlet of delight. Think about it. Every human faculty will be an inlet of, inlet of delight. I was meditating on this the other day. And I was running and I was thinking about this. You know, there'll be new tastes. Right? New tastes. There'll be new sounds. There'll be new colors. There'll be new sensations of touch. Every human faculty will be an inlet of delight. There'll be new sense, right? New, a new... We might have infinite sense. I don't know. I don't know what it will be like. But I think Edwards is right. Every human faculty... Now, you know you'll be physical, right? There's no confusion about this. You're not going to be a cherub playing a harp on a cloud. You, you got this, right? You guys are biblically literate. You know that that's, you know, just stupid, right? We're going to be living on the, new, on the new earth. We're living in the new heaven and the new earth. It is physical. He's physical. We're physical. We're resurrected. We're physical, right? So don't be confused about... That Listen to Edwards. I'm just going to read this to you and I'm going to move on. 
in heaven the glorified spiritual bodies of the saints shall be filled with pleasures of the most exquisite kind that such refined bodies are capable of. The sweetness and pleasure that shall be in the mind shall put the spirits of the body into such emotion as shall cause a sweet sensation throughout the body, infinitely excelling any sensual pleasure here. Beloved, there will be infinite joy not only in God, but in our resurrected physical bodies. Jesus in John chapter 15 and 17, He talks about, He gives us some kind of insight here and it's much bigger than we can even begin to touch, but He says, My joy will be in you. Right? And I will make it full in you. My joy, Jesus says. How big is the, is the joy of Jesus? Someone tell me, how big is it? How big is the joy of Jesus? Anybody? Take a wild guess. How big is the joy of God? How big is it? Nobody? Infinite! Infinite! I was thinking about this, right? We will be finite in heaven, but the one who's pouring into us is infinite, right? And he just never stops pouring. He just never stops revealing himself. Just complete every nanosecond a new understanding and all for God. It never stops. It's why the four living creatures in Revelation chapter whatever it is, four I think, it's why they can just stand there and look at God all day and say, glory, 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 holy, holy, holy! And they never grow weary. You know, people who say they'll be bored or they suspect they might be bored in heaven, they are clueless about who God is. I suspect they're unconverted. They'd have to be unconverted to say such a thing. <laughs> There'll be no boredom in heaven. You have an infinite being pouring into, pouring into a finite vessel. Right? Infinite pleasures in God's right hand. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says it's infinite joy. He said we'll be united with it. We'll pass into it. We'll receive it into ourselves and we will become part of it. Jonathan Edwards says, we will experience ever-increasing joy, conformity, and union with God. A never-ending, ever-increasing discovery of more and more of God with greater and greater joy and delight in Him. Heaven will never be static. We don't arrive and go, oh, it's God in heaven. And that's it. We've... No, you'll never see all of Him. He's infinite. It'll take a billion eternities to discover all the deep joys that reside in God. In heaven, we will always be seeing more clearly. We will always be understanding more fully. We will all be, always be feeling more deeply. You may remember uh, Lucy and C.S. Lewis's, uh, where he talks about in the last battle, when, when the children arrive in New Narnia, which is Lewis's code for the new heaven and new earth. She, she says, I've got a feeling that we've come to a country where everything is allowed, right? Everything's allowed. Why is everything allowed in heaven? There's no sin. There's no sin. There's no predisposition to sin. Sin is God. And every righteous desire that you have, it will be filled up in God, right? 
we talk about it all the time. God has created us with eternity in our hearts. It's why you always desire. It's why even, even unregenerate people, we, we're always desiring something else. It's, we always want something else. We have to have something else. We're desire factories, man. Our hearts are desire factories. We want something else. It doesn't matter what we get. Whatever you're chasing right now, you're going to get it, and you're going to say, well, that's not enough for me. I need something else. You're always going to say that as a human being till you get to the new heaven and new earth. And you will have insatiable desire and God will fill it. God will fill your insatiable hunger and thirst for beauty and knowledge and glory and awe. God will fill your soul forever and ever and ever and ever. Every nanosecond will be an adventure with Him. You know, it's true there's more to heaven than God, but not out of necessity. <laughs> okay? God's enough. God is enough. Just knowing Him and discovering all that we can discover about Him, which will take forever. Again, because He's an infinite being. But God no doubt will give us, well, you can't put a number on it, infinite derivative joys derived from Him and His goodness and His bounty. In heaven we'll be resurrected physical beings loving, worshiping, and serving our resurrected physical God, exercising dominion over His physical universe. God is taking us back to Eden, but He's taking us beyond Eden. Why will heaven, why will the new heaven and new earth be better than Eden? Does anybody, can anybody, anybody think why that might be true? One particular reason. Jesus has, Jesus has been glorified in the redemption of His people. The new heaven and new earth will far surpass the garden that Adam and Eve were put in because of the glory of the finished work of Jesus. You guys may remember in the last battle, again, these are some of the words of, of, of C.S. Lewis, and I just want to uh, relay them to you quickly. Some of you are familiar with these. The old Narnia is the existing fallen earth and the new Narnia is the new heaven and the new earth. Lewis writes, all of the old Narnia that mattered will be drawn into the new Narnia. The old Narnia was a shadow compared to the real thing, the new Narnia. Lewis writes, the new Narnia is a deeper country. Every rock, flower, and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. And then Lewis put these words, you know, all these creatures are having this conversation. And then Lewis put these words in the unicorn's mouth about coming to Narnia, and he says, I've come home at last. This is my real country. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. Whether you know it or not, it's what you're looking for. God put a desire factory in your heart, and it will never be satisfied without Him until you are in relationship with The unicorn says, I belong here. And he goes on, the reason we loved old Narnia is because it sometime looked like this. Theologian J.C. Ryle says, I pity the man who never thinks about heaven. Randy Alcorn adds, I pity the man who never thinks accurately about heaven. It's one reason I'm talking to you about it tonight. 
Some of you don't ever think about heaven. That, I have to tell you, that's about as wrong as it can get. You call yourself a Christian? You need to be contemplating heaven. It changes the way you see the world, the way you see life, the way you see tragedy, quote-unquote. The way you see blessing, it changes everything in light of heaven. Let me just talk about the New Jerusalem real quick. Um, Out of Revelation 21, uh, there's a lot of debate here about how figurative or literal to take this, so I'm not dogmatic, but it's 2.25 million square miles. Listen to American preacher John MacArthur talk about it. The overpowering radiance of God's glory and beauty will refract and glisten through the entire city. The gems uh, picture a brilliant, indescribable, spectacular exhibition of beautiful colors that sent forth the light of God, God's glory and beauty throughout. If you read Revelation 21, there are 15 precious metals and stones of every imaginable color listed to try to... You know, I think John is just groping John is groping to help us see the magnificence of the new Jerusalem in the new heaven and the new earth. What will the new Jerusalem be like? It will be filled with natural wonders, parks, gardens, magnificent architecture, engineering marvels, thriving, dynamic, engaging culture with perfect brotherhood, fellowship, love for every fellow citizen. You will not own any keys. You won't need to lock your door. The New Jerusalem will include all the best of God-inspired human culture and will contain none of the dark side of Satan-inspired human culture. The New Jerusalem is not the full extent of the new heaven and new earth. It is merely the center of it. You and I will have an infinite cosmos to explore. So the question is always raised. Is all we'll do in heaven is worship Jesus? Of course. That's all. In heart exploding worship celebrations, and as we we will worship King Jesus as we rule and reign and work and explore and discover and learn and teach and design and create and investigate and build and dream. There will be infinite intellectual pleasures. Now you're only using about 10% of your brain, some of you less. That's just a joke, obviously. We'll be fully employing a, a, a resurrected, redeemed brain. We will fully employ our unique gifts and talents in serving the Lord. We will love, touch, hug, eat, relax, hike, play, ski, ride horses on the beach, and 10,000 other things you love to do as you worship Jesus Christ for every derivative joy in heaven. How can you not get jazzed about this? How is it that the church is so focused on health, wealth, and prosperity? I'm sorry, it makes me gag. We're looking at the wrong thing. If you happen to have been exposed to this kind of teaching, you look at God and you look at heaven and you be changed. I like what John Piper, I said this to you before, I love what John Piper says about this. He says, in heaven, man, we can really worship. We'll have the stamina to do it. There'll be no physical limitations. With every fiber of our being, we will worship the Lord. We will worship Him. So, Christian, are you looking at heaven? 
Does it inform the way you live every single day of your life? Again, I'll revisit what we said last week. If you're a born-again believer, you're not just taking up space. You're not just existing. You're not just minimizing pain and maximizing pleasure for the you know, 29,200 days you're here. That's an 80-year lifespan. You're here for infinitely more than that to be God's witness in the world. 1 John 3.3 3 says, Everyone who has this hope fixed on Christ purifies himself just as Christ is pure. Why should we think deeply about heaven? Just a few reasons. It frees us up. Right? It frees us up from anxiety, from sin, from pettiness, from retribution. Karen and I were talking the other day. Man, I don't have to get even with anybody. Why would I waste my energy and time trying to get even with anybody? I leave it to God, right? This is why Christians don't have to you know, return the slap. We don't have to return the insult. We never have to get down in the mud. Our God, what does the text say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will make perfect justice of everything. It's one good reason to consider heaven. We get God's perspective as we consider heaven. We don't sweat the small stuff when we're thinking about heaven, right? We don't take the insult. It, we don't brood over it for a month. We lose the job. Okay, I lost my job. I lost my job. Okay, God will provide somehow, right? We don't sweat. I'm not saying that unemployment is, is a small thing. I've been there. But it doesn't have to be an unpleasant thing. <laughs> I've been there too. So, consider heaven gives us endurance in the trial. It creates purpose and focus in our life. I like what Randy Alcorn says about this. He says, if my wedding date is on the calendar and I'm thinking about my future spouse, I'm not an easy target for seduction. Likewise, when I've meditated on heaven, sin is terribly unappealing. Our high tolerance for sin testifies to our failure to think deeply about heaven. So let me ask you this question. In your idle moments, when your mind gravitates to whatever excites and interests you the most, what do you think about? Do you ever think about heaven? And I'm going to challenge some of you. Some of you are going to say, no, I never do, Jim. And I'm going to lovingly say to you, repent. Repent of that grievous sin. Think deeply about Christ and about your home, Christian. It will change the way you live your life. 2 Peter 3.13 says, According to God's promise, we are looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. I'm going to make a, a passing point here and then I'm about done. Um, <laughs> you know, I always get the why question. That's fine. Um, I get the why question all the time. That's, that's part of the job. It's in my job description. Everyone will ask you why this, why that, why this, why that. Right? It's in the job description. You learn this in seminary. It's a class called Why, right? And you realize everybody's going to ask you why. And when I read Alcorn's book about heaven, it, it was just, it just, it was illuminating because he said, sometimes it has everything to do with heaven. 
Christ is not simply preparing a place for us. He is preparing us for that place. How you will serve and rule and reign with the Lord Jesus. You say, Jim, well, my dream never came true here. Does it really matter? Christian, does it really matter that your temporal dream never came true? Your eternal dream will. Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Are you understanding what I'm talking about? The gravity of what I'm talking about? It'll change your life. If you stop feeling sorry for yourself and just let God have it. Let Him have it. Jim, my dream never came true. Okay, it'll come true there. Far better than you could have ever dreamed it. Beloved, we've got to get unshackled here. We've got to get unbound as, as the children of God. We've got <laughs> eternity waiting for us where we will share intimacy with God. 2 Peter 3.11 in light of Christ's imminent return and judgment of this fallen world, what sort of people ought you to be in holiness and in godliness? So I'm going to ask you, some of you I know, some of you need to repent of your sin of not thinking deeply about Jesus Christ as your God and Savior, but also not thinking deeply about all that He's prepared for you, your inheritance. <laughs> it means for you to think deeply about it. And I hope that you will consider doing that. It's about, ultimately, this life is about stewardship. It's not about how much money you get, how much career success you have, how beautiful your spouse is, how beautiful your kids are. It's not about that. The Lord may give you all of that, but it's not about that. It's about you being His and sharing the good news. Don't you want to hear it? Matthew 25, well done. That should be right there. No extra structure. I want to hear the well done. I want to hear well done from Jesus. That's what I want. More than anything else, I want to hear well done. Well done. Remember what He said? Good and faithful servant, I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your Master. I'll end with a quote from Peter Pan. Who, who knows what I'm going to quote from Peter Pan? Some of you have been around for a while. What did Peter Pan say? You say, Jim, that's a stupid way to end a sermon. <laughs> well, okay, maybe you're right. <laughs> but I really like what Peter Pan said. What does he say? Who said it? Yeah, Say it, man. To die would be an awfully big adventure. Amen? For you, you're a Christian tonight. For you, that's true. It's true. I challenge you tonight, if you've not been thinking about your inheritance, go home, talk to God about it. You guys, talk about it. You start thinking deeply about it. I promise you. And you come tell me if I'm wrong. You come tell me if I'm wrong. It'll change the way you live every single day. Let's pray together.
Lord, these things are so awesome. I Forgive me for my inability to communicate the grandeur and the pleasure and the joy that You have purchased for us on the cross. Lord, we, we all confess our sin here tonight. We've not thought about heaven as we ought. We've not thought deeply about it. We've not allowed it to permeate every circumstance and thought of our lives. Lord God, help us. Help us to create this discipline in our life. Where every major decision we ever make is in light of who you are, what you've done, what you've said, and what you've promised. Every major decision in our life that we make, it will be in light of the new heaven and the new earth where we will really live. Lord God, we love You. Forgive us. Forgive us that You have revealed beautiful things to us and we have handled them in such a cavalier manner. We love You, Lord. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Drive these truths home to us. I want to be changed right now. I want to be, I want to have a new view of heaven. I want to be motivated by who you are and what you've said and what you've promised and my inheritance. Help us, Lord God, we pray in the beautiful and matchless and awesome name of Jesus. Amen. Let me, close, let me just close. Let's stand and I'll uh, read the benediction for us. And then we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace. Think deeply about all that God has done in your behalf. Have a great week. God bless.